according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you live for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 7. Join me there, Proverbs chapter 7, as we are reading about Pethi. Verse 6 says, At the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the Pethi. And discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense or lacking heart passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and finally in the darkness. Behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Does that sound seductive? Okay, well, we don't relate necessarily because of our culture, but this, this, is, uh, this is an offer, and she's inviting him home, and and uh, giving him every reason why he should and, and telling him that there's no reasons why he should not. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, and at the full moon he will come home. And with her many persuasions, she entices him. And with her flattering lips, she seduces him. So how many did she have, and how many did it take? See, I think she had him at hello. <laughs> because he had already gone by three times looking for her. And until the fourth time, then, oh, fancy meeting you here. What are the odds of that? And so uh, it didn't take that many persuasions to uh, entice him. All right, well, this is where we are, what we're looking at. We'll see how far we get with it today because this is our last Wednesday for a little bit. We have two Wednesdays off and uh, won't be returning until January 20th. So uh, we may have to uh, stay till two or three in the afternoon maybe to get it all packed. I'm teasing. Let's open the word of prayer and ask the Father to bless our time together in his word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you for the truth. Your word is truth. And Father, I thank you that by your grace uh, we can worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for the person of your Son, for his faithfulness on the cross, for his faithfulness to provide. I thank you, Father, that we have his righteousness imputed to our account, that we are here in prayer and in study. We are here in his name, not our own. And I thank you that in his name, Father, you freely give us all things. And so we claim that this morning as you freely give us all things, the truth of this message from this chapter, open the eyes of our understanding and lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have worked our way down now to main point five. And uh, this is unique among all of the fornication exhortations anywhere in these uh, first nine chapters. Remember, there are five of these messages in the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs, but unique to, the, to all of them is this narrative. It's a story narrative of what David could see from his window. 
And it's a story narrative to tell the story, to make the point of what has already been made in chapter 2 and in chapter 6 and all these uh, other places, chapter 5 and the upcoming message in chapter 9. Uh, but they all say the same thing, is that, that fornication is, is destructive, that it is self-destructive, it damages the soul, it, it fails to glorify Jesus Christ, it has physical as well as spiritual consequences. And uh, whereas other messages may say such in, in just a, a revelatory manner, these narratives actually spell it out and let you watch the destruction happen. And I believe Song of Solomon is exactly the same thing. It is a drama that portrays the issues of, of, uh, of a non-marital fornication, see, and uh, some of the other attachments that are found with premarital uh, emotional ties and aspects there as uh, Shulamith falls in love with a shepherd lover and then finds herself married to Solomon and in the king's harem and uh, on the, the problems that come about when, uh, when that kind of thing happens. So when we're dealing with a story narrative, we're watching the things unfold so that um, we can learn from this example and not learn <laughs> from our own example. Uh, in in that respect. So uh, in introducing this story narrative then, we have the return of Pethy. All right, sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster, the return of Pethy. Um, Returning from chapter one, he was the simple one, the naive, as it says here, and uh, featured uh, in verse four, twice in verse 22, and in verse 32, all in Proverbs chapter 1. Well, he makes his comeback here in Proverbs 7, 7. We will see him again in 8, 5. Uh, he has a larger role in chapter 9, verse 4, 6, 13, and 16. And then uh, you see on the screen, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. He is lacking sense, lacking sense. And this is a, an idiomatic expression and one that maybe boggles us a little bit because the idea of lacking heart, uh, the verb chaser is to lack. And that's pretty standard as far as its various uses. Uh, it speaks of a deficiency. It speaks of something you don't have but you should have. Um, or maybe you have too many in the case of uh, the madmen there. That uh, Do I lack madmen in the use of 1 Samuel 21.15? But the lacking, all right, that no one who trusts in the Lord is going to lack, that God is going to provide all our needs. And we can claim these as, as promises. There's 11 times so that the verb chaser is used in Proverbs and is connected to the term uh, uh, lev or lavav that speaks of the heart. And so when you, when you combine these terms together, you end up really with, with um, an idiom. You end up with an expression that is more than the sum of its parts, that is in some respects kind of irrelevant as far as the parts are concerned. It's like in English when we talk about a hot dog. You know, We're not really all that wrapped up around the adjective hot, and we're not really all that concerned with the noun dog, all right? Because the hot dog has nothing to do with dogs, you know, uh, it's just what it's called. And, and, and sometimes they're not even all, really all that hot, right? But we, we put the terms together, hot and dog, and combined together, it's a term that we all know what a hot dog is and no one even thinks about it. I think it's the same thing with chaser and lavav. We think about lacking heart and no one really thinks about it. We don't think about it in terms of the heart itself, which is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. We, we tend to take this idiom away from other Lavav studies, other heart studies, because the emphasis isn't so much on the heart. Uh, the emphasis is on the, the, um, the insanity, on the, the lacking sense. The fact that he's, today we would say, you know, you're out of your mind. Or we would say, 
Yeah, we have a lot of it. We have, there's a ton of idiomatic expressions for crazy people. And there's a reason for that, okay? Um, and that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with an idiom of lacking sense, not, uh, not uh, necessarily the, the heart of the issue. Anyway, that was what we spent much of our time with last week, dealing with that. Um, and the damage that gets done to the heart in this kind of a sin process that leaves you out of your mind, leaves you lacking sense. And, uh, and different aspects there. All right. Finally then, Pethy chooses his route so as to come into her proximity. As it says in verse 8, he's made the selection of his route. Why did he take this route? Pethy chooses his route so as to come into her proximity. And I put the her in quotes because of the interesting use of her in uh, in verse eight, um, who who is what is the reference to the pronoun her in verse eight? It, it, it's almost uh, shocking the way that uh, her just jumps out at you without an immediate context, and uh, the the nearest you can point back to is the adulteress, the foreigner who flatters with her words in verse five. But that's a, that's a three-verse jump in, in terms of making that the immediate context. I believe it is the immediate context. I think it's appropriate because of what follows. Nevertheless, it's jarring as it appears there in verse 8. But passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. And we know who she is, okay? Because, again, because of the context. The, the most recently mentioned her anywhere in this section is the uh, adulteress from verse 5, the foreigner with her words in verse 5. And then clearly, uh, when she does make her appearance in verse 10, that's her, okay? And he knows that's her because he's been looking for her, all right? And uh, we don't have a proper name for her. There's no name that's needed because you can fill in the blanks. There's plenty of hers in this world that, that meet this criteria that, that this picture is being painted of. But he has chosen his route because he passed through the street near her corner. Did he have to take that street? Were there other streets he could have taken? You know, when I, when I leave here, do I take, uh, you know, I'm going home, am I taking 183 or am I taking Parmer? What am I doing? Say, generally I can go either way, but uh, it depends on traffic and time of day, <laughs> all right? Uh, there's no other considerations that, ooh, if I go this way, then maybe I can, you know, well, actually, that's not true either because maybe there's ice cream in a drive-thru or <laughs> Zoe texts me and she wants a blizzard, anything of that nature. That will affect the route you take. Why do you take that route, okay? Why does he go into that part of town? Why is he in that neighborhood, all right? Well, because he wants to be in that neighborhood. He wants to encounter what he doesn't find in his own neighborhood, what he finds here, see. What are the, what are the neighborhoods in town for the, I mean, well, I can spend all day illustrating this because of my former line of work, <laughs> you know, with the, with the sheriff's department. I know the crack neighborhoods. I know the, the different parts of town. We're in between two of them right now, as a matter of fact. But anyway, we got the idea there. He's choosing the way he's going to go. So that he is near, he is on the street that's going to pass near her corner. He takes the way to her house. And he does so repeatedly. Four times he has to pass by before he encounters her. Four times. First time he goes by is at the twilight. She's not there. She's not there. So, now, is he carnal yet? 
Oh, you bet he's carnal. And even though he hasn't done anything, he wants to. And if she had been there at the twilight, then he would have sinned on the, on the first trip. Okay? The only fact is, is that she wasn't there, hindered him, the external circumstances beyond his control kept him from doing the, the overt activity, the overt sin that he wanted to do. But he still did it, did it in his mind, did it in his heart, wanted to do it. The attitude is there, the eagerness is there for carnality. He's carnal. He is as carnal as the day is long. Then he goes back second time in the evening, still not there. Goes back the third time in the middle of the night. Now you, know, you start to wonder if, you know, why is he not home yet? <laughs> is his wife going to start getting suspicious? You know, why, why are you taking so long to get home? The point is, is be thankful as God in his grace will sometimes overrule. And he will sometimes, now you're still carnal and you still have to confess, you still have to get back in fellowship, but God in his grace is overruling in the, the deed that, that you want to get done. Which he does three times, but not the fourth. You'll notice. Fourth time, and the long suffering of God has now expired, and uh, the opportunities that he's had to back away have expired, and God's going to compound the discipline, and he's going to permit for Pethy to, uh, to plunge into this. So, in the darkness. Four times he has to pass by before he encounters her. Verse 9. And so in this process, we realize that Pethy is in complete disobedience to verses we've already seen in Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, and Proverbs 5 and verse 8. Pethy is in complete disobedience to Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, and Proverbs 5, 8. Let me remind ourselves of what these earlier chapters were saying. Proverbs 4.14. And again, this is the benefit of living in the Word of God. The benefit of, of taking in truth and making it an active part of your thought process, a part of your life. As it says in verse 10, Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. This is the right kind of embracing. When you're embracing doctrine, you're not going to be embracing the wrong kind of women. All right? Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. The alternative, if you're not being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the alternative is you're going to be conformed to this world conform to this age, and you're on the wrong path. It's an either-or. Either walking in the light or walking in darkness. Either the path of truth or the path of, of wickedness. So do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. And that's, that's a two-step two we talked about. One thing to enter into it, and then the second problem is when you proceed down it. So if you don't even enter into it, guess what? That's good news. That means you can't be proceeding down it. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. You know, if you're not even in that neighborhood, then you can't enter into it, and then you can't proceed down it. You see how all of these things are just steps along the way. So avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Turn away from it and pass on. Turn your back. Quit looking at it. The longer you keep looking at it, you're just tempting yourself is all you're doing. You're fixating on something. You're, you're filling your mind with it because you're filling your eyes with it. You keep looking at it. Keep looking at it. Keep looking at it. And now... 
I mean, man, you fantasized about it for so long, it's far better than it's ever going to be in reality. <laughs> okay? And by the time you finally do accomplish the sin, what a, what a disappointment. Okay? All right, so there's the admonition there. Over in chapter 5, Proverbs 5, eight. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. So here's near and far. Remember, the near and far proximity is a danger. So keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. So those are the admonishments. And Pethi is in complete disobedience. He is not far. He is near. And he's keeping himself near. And he's walking past four different times again and again and again and again. And, uh, you know, you keep playing with fire, eventually what's going to happen? Well, that's, uh, that's the reality of what we're looking at here. Now, she comes out. Behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning as heart of heart. Two descriptions there in verse 10. I find these interesting as well. So, point D. Her apparel and her personal conduct display the cunning heart. Her apparel and personal conduct display her cunning heart. It's how she's dressed, and uh, it's how she, it's her personal conduct, how she carries herself. Note how her conduct is diametrically opposed to the Bible's prescription for femininity. What is the distinction between seductive and feminine? And um, different aspects there. All right, I don't know. I've got a four on my screen that's confusing me. (laughs) I don't know why. The word opposed should be spelled O-P-P-O-S-E-D, and there should be no numeral four in that. But anyway... Let's look at not just verse 10, but verse 11 and verse 12. And we see her, her uh, apparel, her appearance, how she's dressed, what she looks like, and, uh, and, but then also her conduct. Because she's dressed as a harlot. And, and I guess that's um, used to be more obvious than it is anymore. Uh, nowadays, I start to wonder if, if everybody dresses like a harlot. And, uh, and, and everyone's so immodest anyway, how do you tell? In different, in, in in some respects, everybody's dressed as a harlot, and and, and I think the, I, I was teasing on the streets of Kiev years ago, um, and Europe is far more decadent than America. But uh, <coughs> I was teasing Titus Kennedy about this, and you know I I actually feel bad for the real harlots because they they how do they stand out? How do they how do they ply their trade or advertise or how do they make themselves known? Because there, there's no distinction between just normal girls and uh, it's 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 tragic i shouldn't be joking about this kind of thing it's actually it's quite sad in uh, in that respect but dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart she is boisterous and rebellious her feet do not remain at home now we have, we saw proverbs 31 the other day and, and saw the the nature of the virtuous woman who has actual business outside the home, but it's not it's not the it's not the aspect of whether she's home or not at home. It's what's she doing when she's not at home, and what is the uh, what is the cunning of heart that's on display here? 
She is now in the streets, now in the squares, lurking by every corner. And so you see um, the, uh, really it's, it's the, the vagrant mentality that we were looking at in uh, chapter 6 related to the, the, uh, the principles there. Uh, there's no root. There's no, um, there's no uh, uh, home. You know, the, the concept of homelessness is that you are not rooted and grounded. There's no stability. All right. The, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, she may consider a field and she may purchase and she may, have, she may be outside the home doing business, but when she's doing business, it's always to come back and, and support the home. It's always to come back and build up the home. It's in support of the home industry that's centered around the husband and the children and the household and the, and the, the maidens that she's providing for. And everything is centered around the home. When she's out there, it's to support what's happening here at the home. Not so with a harlot, not so with a vagrant, not so with the, uh, we saw the vagabonds in, uh, in chapter 6, and the harlot's the same thing, only from a female perspective. The only thing the home is good for is when the husband's gone, you can use it as a lair and, uh, and uh, you know, bring in your next victim. When the husband's not gone, then the home's not good for that, and you've got to go to other homes, and that's part of what we're looking at here in the streets in the squares lurking by every corner i mean goodness she's all over the map all over the all over the place so she seizes him and kisses him and with a brazen face a face she says to him all right so you see the the seizing in the the actual uh dominant role that that she's taking here in this capacity she's a huntress and she's hunting for the precious life. She's hunting for the precious soul. All right. She's not operating as a responder. She's operating as the as the initiator, as the predator, and uh, the the um, function there. In any event, note how her conduct is diametrically opposed to the Bible's prescription for femininity. And this is not a personality thing. Don't don't lose the message in this because of the language. Don't lose the message in this and say, well, it's a personality thing and some are more introverted and some are more extroverted and some are more... Um, I think sometimes we, we lose the point on the word boisterous. Okay, Boisterous and rebellious. That's what's being linked together there. And the instability. Her feet do not remain at home. She's always got this itchy, wandering... Got to move on to the next victim attitude. <coughs> That's how she bounces from streets to squares to lurking in every corner. There's no stability. No stability at all. So when we go to Proverbs 31, and we can turn there now, we see kind of the opposite of all this. And it's not that she's uh, barefoot and pregnant and kept in the kitchen and not allowed to leave home. Okay, We're not saying that. But when she does leave home, she knows where she's going. She knows why she's going there. It's not the unstable um, reality of that harlot from chapter 7. So verses 10 through 31. And uh, it's a long section. And, And it's an acrostic in the Hebrew, by the way. So that helps the Hebrew girls memorize it working their way through, Aleph, Baith, Gimel, Daleth, and so forth. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. 
Notice the, the trust, the stability, the commitment that's found in the, in the marriage relationship. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. He's not wondering about her when he's off until the new moon, <laughs> when he himself is on a journey, when he himself won't be back for a period of time. He's not worried about her lurking in the, in the corners and in the marketplaces and, and so forth. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Where is she finding that wool and that flax? She's in the marketplace. She's out of the house. She's in there in the marketplace. But she's not hunting for pethy and, and some kind of adultery. She's hunting for wool and flax so that she can get back to the home and, and be productive with what it is that she's brought into her home. And so she works with her hands in delight. Because wool and flax is simply a, a commodity. It's, it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that has to be molded. It has to be shaped. It has to be labored over. You have to turn it into, uh, into something productive, like a, like a cloak or a blanket or a, uh, an article of clothing or something. You're, fa- you're forming and fa- your labor goes into this to produce something of value. It is going to be of greater worth and greater value because of the work that you put into it. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She, um, and there's different things we can comment on that. There's so much of this as an outline of capitalism, by the way, that I find uh, remarkable as well. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. So she's up early in the morning because there's work to be done. She wasn't out in a drunken party the night before. Gives food to her household, portions to her maidens. That's different than her children, are her maidens here. The role that she has towards uh, her servants to set that example. And by the way, um, this is a huge thrust or emphasis in Song of Solomon is warning the daughters of Jerusalem not to arouse or awaken love until it pleases. That, that the mistress of the house has to be that moral example to the maidens that are under her dominion. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. And so again, she's not, it's not just stay at home. She is out there, but she's out there for a purpose and she is supporting her husband in this purpose. She girds herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. It wasn't a wasted day. It was gain. It was product productivity. And she's able to sense that. She has worth and value in what she's doing and the worth and value is directed towards her household she's not on this quest for self-esteem by uh by it's all about me kind of a thing which is uh what satan uses in our culture to try to convince the woman that that she shouldn't raise children or be in a house or or take care of her family and there's no value in that if she doesn't uh you know earn her degree and have a successful career and do all these things for herself about finding personal self-fulfillment remember it's in the last days that men will be lovers of self it's not about what we are doing for us she senses that her gain is good, that what she has benefited to her husband, to her children, to her maidens, to her household estate is productive, it's prosperous, it profits. Profit's not a bad word, it's a good word because it, it's a reflection of the, of the labor you put into it. It's a reflection of you know, earnings when you work for it is a good thing. 
Her lamp does not go out at night. She's, uh, in other words, there's, there's, it's not time for partying and, and it's time for you know, the final work that needs to be done for the day. She stretches out her hands to the distaff. Her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's generous as she realizes that she's free to be generous based upon how gracious God has been to her. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Is that because a government program has given them all that? There's a, there's a welfare program for winter clothing that she stood in line for to receive? Or she worked and she produced these things. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. What's he known for? What are his accomplishments? I'm sure he has them, but this chapter doesn't describe what they are. The chapter is describing what her accomplishments are. And whatever his accomplishments are, for whatever reason, you know, the things that a man is known for in, in his occupation or in his military success or in his wealth or in whatever else a man is known for, um, he is known as her husband. <laughs> known in the gates. Oh, that's, uh, that's this woman's husband. And uh, you know, when the, a woman of excellence... You know, what was Boaz known for? I'm sure he was known for a lot of things. But by the, at the beginning of the book of Ruth, what was he known for? He was known for his wealth. He was known for his godliness. He was known for his servants and their character. He was known that his fields were a place where a person wasn't going to be victimized or wasn't going to be hurt. I mean, he was known for a lot of things. He was known in the gates and he had business dealings with the other men of the community. He, at the beginning of the book of Ruth, he was known for a lot of things. What was he known for at the end of the book of Ruth? He was Ruth's husband. <laughs> okay? And that's, that's to her credit, but that's to his glory, his exaltation. See? And I find that interesting. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So she makes, back to her again, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She uh, opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Where's the boat brazen, boisterous, unstable? It's nowhere near here, say. This is polar opposite. Polar opposite of the, of the boisterous woman from chapter 7. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Okay? Well, there it is. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. Principles, church age principles in the New Testament. And um, I want women, it says likewise... I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or, or pearls of 
uh, are costly garments. Now, what's wrong with those things? Anything wrong with those things? Well, not in and of themselves, but what is the real issue here in terms of the attitude? The men are to be men of prayer. As uh, verses 1 through 8 we're talking about, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. It's not only about our apparel, but our personal conduct. How do we conduct ourselves in our community? Likewise, I want women. So the likewise is pointing to apparel, but more than that, it's pointing to conduct. Nothing wrong with uh, braiding your hair, nothing wrong with gold or pearls, nothing wrong with costly garments. But rather by means of good works, as is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. This is what it's about. The, the heart has to be there. The, the inner beauty has to precede the outer beauty. The outer beauty is phony. It's a show. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. There are roles here in this. Notice when you get down to the end of the chapter, it's faith and love and the sa- and sanctity with self-restraint. That's not the Proverbs 7 woman there. <laughs> That's the Proverbs 31 woman there. Okay? And, uh, you know braid your hair and wear nice clothes and do all that, that's great so long as the inner beauty precedes that. So long as the inner beauty precedes that. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 5. Get past Hebrews and James. 1 Peter. In the same way, you wives, and of course that points back to the end of chapter 2 there. Um, but in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. You are subject to Christ, and you model that, and they may observe that, and the example that you set may uh, bring them to repentance. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Nothing wrong with any of those things. You should look, desire to look attractive for him. But it's got to start with the soul beauty first. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. <laughs> you know, everybody in town can see the dresses, but the, your husband's the one that better be seeing the, the soul the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. That's the Proverbs 31 lady. That's not the Proverbs 7 lady. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. All right, well, there's the issues there. Anyway, there's femininity different from seductive. Point E. Nine verses. The longest part of this whole development. We get one verse that tells us how she's dressed. We get nine verses that tells us what she's saying. Nine verses of persuasion, enticement, flattery, and seduction promise every benefit and deny any consequences. 
Nine verses of persuasion, enticement, flattery, and seduction promises every benefit and deny or denies any consequences. This is verses 13 through 21 of Proverbs chapter 7. And this is what politicians do in politics. This is what salesmen do, used car salesmen or any salesman. All right? You're going to highlight all the benefits, all the great things, all the wonderful things, why you're going to love whatever. Okay? And all the reasons why this is just a great idea, the greatest thing ever. And no consequences. Nothing wrong at all. There's no reason not to. There's no price to pay. There's no damage that's done. You can't get caught. No one will ever know. There's there's every reason why you want to do this, and there's no reason why you shouldn't do this. That's the nature of satanic seduction. That's the nature of politics. That's the nature of used car salesmen. That's the nature of everything except true biblical communication of the Word of God. And I find it interesting. This, the sequence actually forms a very vivid illustration for James 1, verses 14 and 15. It's the same pattern. It's the same issue of, of sin. James 1, verses 14 and 15. Let's grab that first, then we'll come back and look at this appeal that's being made. But in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You should be familiar with this. There's a process involved. Each one is tempted, notice, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So there's a process. And you're allowing yourself to be carried away. You're allowing yourself to be enticed. You're allowing yourself to find the enticement in it. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there's a process, right? We understand conception and sperm meets egg and boom, conception. And uh, temptation hits and volition says, okay, that sounds fun. I want to do that. You have conception, something that you want to do. And even before you uh, do it, you've wanted to do it. You've decided you're going to do it, okay? And just the, the wanting to and the thinking about it and the wondering about it, that's the enticement. And then you get carried away, daydreaming about how fun it's going to be. And then you decide, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and, and that's when it is uh, conceived. And so it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, now we finally get around to the, the physical act. We finally get the overt activity done. There's consequences. It brings forth death. And I believe this is more than the operational death. I think the operational death has already been in place since carnality got into effect. But we have the physical consequences that are assigned, the diseases, the sickness, the damage to the soul, the other physical consequences as you sin against your own body that, uh, that are accomplished. By the way, another good illustration on this is, is David on the roof. And uh, looking and lusting and and uh, finding out who she is, and each step of the way, it's like Pethy walking past once, twice, three times trapped. You know, David's got opportunities each step of the way to repent. And he sees a naked woman, and 
He's lusting, so he's already carnal. But he finds out who she is. Oh, that's Uriah's wife. Opportunity to repent. Oh, she's a married woman. Oh, Uriah. I love Uriah. Uriah's a godly man. Oh, okay, I better not. <laughs> okay? Confess. Get back in fellowship. A chance to... And then, no, go get her. Bring her into my home. Okay? Now he's got another chance to repent. Because he brings her into his home and... God in His grace says, uh, it's a bad week, David. Um, you have to wait. Now he's got another chance to repent. He's got another chance to, oh, wait a minute. Think it through. Think of what you're doing. And instead, he waits a week and then does the deed. It's this once, twice, three times, four times, and now he's finally caught. See? Anyway, there's many ways. Scripture is pretty blunt on a lot of this. And I think we should be blunt with... Uh, what Scripture is blunt with, particularly with our children, ourselves, or anyone. So Proverbs 13, I'm sorry, Proverbs 7, verse 13. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him. No shame, there's nothing wrong, this is normal, this is fun, everybody's doing it. So we have persuasion, enticement, flattery, and seduction. And those very words, by the way, are used in this. Um, down in verse 21, with her many persuasions, and you can do a word study there if you want, and she entices him. There's the, there's the term. Flattering lips, she seduces him. And so those four descriptions summarize what 13 through 20 are all about. Verse 21 kind of serves as a, as a, as a summary. There are persuasions. There is enticement. There's flattery. And, and flattery is... I mean, this works both ways, folks. It's not just men that are subject to flattery. Women are subject to flattery. And it's just a different kind. <laughs> okay? But uh, male and female, both, they have uh, insecurities. They have vulnerabilities. There's words that can be used that can, uh, that can uh, tweak those and work on those. And, uh, and in some respects, the, the pethy is hearing what he wants to hear. He's hearing it because he's been wanting to hear it for a long, long time. And even if it's not true, he wants it to be true, so he's happy that she's saying it. See, same thing in the other direction. If it's not true, the, 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 the girl gets seduced by the guy that says what she wants to hear, what she was wanting somebody else to tell her. Somebody else didn't tell her, but he's telling her, so there it is. So they're called uh, persuasions, enticements, flattery and seduction the scripture says let's cut off all flattering lips <laughs> all right just chop them off it's kind of gruesome to look at somebody without lips okay well if they're if they're just flattering anyway and and they're dangerous then you're better off uh looking at a disfigured thing there without lips all right i was due to offer peace offerings and today i have paid my vows what this means is is she's uh She's got uh, a nice, uh, nice bit of meat at home. The peace offerings that she brought, the animal that was brought, it was slaughtered, it was butchered, it was prepared, and now it's, it's ready to go. She, and, and she just needs somebody to share it with. And uh, man, you know, you tell a guy that there's a, there's a good steak waiting for him. <laughs> man, that's, that's item number one. You bet. And uh, therefore, I've come out to meet you. Oh, I've been looking for you. The, the truth is, 
yeah, he went by four different times before he finally found her. Where's she been this whole time? Who has she been with? How many other pethies were there on trip one, trip two, trip three? Okay. But she turns it around as if, oh, you're special. I've been looking for you. You're the one that means more to me than anything else. I've never, I've never met anybody like you before. You know how, what, what a lie this is? And how we fall for it? We fall for it because we want to fall for it. We want this to be true. And I think it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a built-in testimony to the character of how God designed us to be relational and to be monogamous with the one that's corresponding to us. All right. So I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. What a joy. This is going to be fun. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. Hey, I've got a place. All right? And everything is all prepared. There's no reason to say no. There's no reason to wait. I'm sprinkling my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You know, guys don't know what that is anyway, but it smells nice. Okay? (laughs) You know? Let us drink of our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. And, and yeah, she's, she's singing his tune. She's singing his language. And he's, he's, gonna, he's, he's already fallen for it. He fell for it before she even said it. Word one, he wanted it to be true. Okay? For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. We will not get caught. We can't get caught. And sure, yeah, your father told you that thing about can a man stick a fire in his bosom and not get burned? And, and you know, jealousy enrages a man and you can't pay recompense. And Yeah, 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 yeah. But that, none of that matters because you can't get caught. He won't even be home until the new moon. We got days to spare. You know, don't, don't believe all that. You know, whoever told you that, they just don't want you to have any fun. So with her many persuasions, she entices him. And here it is. And it's sad. But understand this. There are always consequences. There are always consequences. Immediate consequences, long-term consequences, and eternal consequences. Immediate, long-term, and eternal. There are always, always, always consequences. That's verses 22 and 23. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. The hand of God's discipline will be a sign and it's compounded already because of how many times the grace of God tried to rescue him from this. Until an arrow pierces through his liver. There are physical consequences, disease, health issues. David talked about broken bones based upon the sin that he failed to confess and how slow he was to confess. Actually, how he delayed his confession. As a bird hastens to the snare, he does not know it will cost him his soul. And what is the damage to the soul? When God has designed the intimacy of marriage to knit souls together, then what are we truly doing with meaningless sex there's no such thing it always has meaning if we say no strings attached they even make movies about this stuff now 
Okay? Friends with benefits and no strings attached and blah, 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 blah. And it's just purely physical. There's no, there's no emotions. They say that, but they're lying. They're lying to themselves. The soul is always damaged because bonds are formed and then they're ripped apart. And so he does not know that it will cost him his soul. There are always consequences. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Having a couple of early sneak peeks at Galatians 6 here lately. Blessings to uh, restore such a one. In verse 1, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. I think 2016 is going to be a good year. We're going to have Galatians 5, Galatians 6, and then we're going to move on to Philippians. We're going to have some fun with that. But Galatians 6, um, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Who was teaching do not be deceived in there? Was that Glenn or was that, I guess that was Glenn teaching do not be deceived. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting expression. You could throw do not be deceived in front of every verse in the Bible. Okay? Do not be deceived. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Do not be deceived. Yeah, I mean, you could put that in front of every single verse in the Bible, and it would make sense. We don't want to be deceived over anything God has revealed, but when they are put in there like this, when Paul puts it in there, other authors put it in there, I think it's indicative of something that is very vulnerable, something that the devil will frequently use in his lies. And he will very frequently put in his lies that there are no consequences, that you can get away with whatever you want to get away with. God's not even paying attention. He doesn't care. You, he's paying attention and he does care. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Commit harlotry, there is a price to pay. There are consequences. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. There are, there are always consequences. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So there's consequences there too. Immediate, long-term, and eternal. So let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Because there are always consequences. All right, the epilogue then, the epilogue to the story. I know I'm racing through this, but I didn't want to leave this hanging for three weeks the epilogue to the story point six is the epilogue verses 24 through 27 now therefore my sons listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth do not let your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray to her paths for many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain her house is the way to sheol descending to the chambers of death Sin and a death, you know, you know, pursuing a lifestyle of flagrant uh, defiance of the will of God. You know, it's staggering in my mind. Even if I didn't have the scriptures, even if I wasn't a believer, when you look at a lifestyle that shortens your lifespan by twenty years, when you look at a lifestyle that's that's doubly. I mean, smoking will only take ten years off your life, 
and homosexuality takes 20 years off? Why don't we have Surgeon General warnings there? <laughs> you know, why don't we have public service announcements there? All right, many are the victims she has cast down. You know, it's you gotta you gotta know this, and maybe it's hard to hear, maybe you don't want to hear, but you're not special. You're not. There's gonna there were many many before you arrived. There's many more after you. She's going to spit you up and, and chew you up and spit you out and, and she's done with you. You're a momentary trifle. One victim among many. A notch on the belt and now they're moving on. So, but I think it is there's an interesting pattern here and I would, I would uh, maybe want to spend more time on this. Maybe we will. Maybe in January we will. Um, the heart turns aside before the feet stray. I, I like, there's a pattern there in verse 25. The heart turns aside before the feet stray. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. And straying, wandering, you know, um, if you just kind of, you're befuddled and you wander into a place, you're not even sure why you're there. Well, where's your heart? Your heart strayed long before your feet ever did. And, and that's the whole point in Proverbs. We want to keep our heart close to the Lord as we keep our heart in the Word of God. We don't want to be lacking in heart. All right, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, do not stray into her paths. I think there's a pattern there, one that could be expanded more. And then secondly, you're not special. Many came before you and many more will follow. Many came before you and many more will follow. You're not special. And if, if, if you're made to feel special and it's not true, understand what you're throwing away. I think, the, uh, again, the, the message from Song of Solomon, the one whom my soul loves, it's not the one that she was married to. It's not the one she's in the harem. She's one among 60 there. As far as the shepherd lover is concerned, he's the one and only. She's the one and only. The, 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 the power of the, of the one and only, we saw it in Proverbs 31. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. As far as the husband goes, she's the one and only. As far as she's concerned, he's the one and only. That's, that's what our souls are designed for. Eve completed Adam. It was not good for him to be alone, and it took one wife for him to be not alone. <laughs> There's one helper corresponding to him. And, um, and so in the, in the nature of these seductions and in the nature of these snares, when you are made to feel special, there's a reason for that. And because that's, the, that's what the soul is craving, that's what we're designed for, that's the, the function of marriage. And uh, when you start looking for it in all the wrong places, <laughs> you know, I start singing country western lyrics at this point. Because there's... But there's a reason why those lyrics are featured the way that they are in those kind of songs. Because they're true. They reflect the truth of Proverbs. They reflect the truth of the Word of God. All right, in any event. 
Many are the victims she's cast down. Numerous are all her slain. And you start to see the train wreck that's left behind. You start to see the damage that's done and realize that, you know, it's all just a pack of lies. There are consequences. In any event. All right, well, that wraps this up. Uh, We'll be able to uh, get a fresh start in chapter 8 with the new year. And... um, Yeah, we'll see as the Lord provides for that as well. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our time together in the truth. I rejoice, Father, in the plain language. It gets very blunt. It gets, it's almost vulgar in some ways, except you're the one that wrote it, Father. So nothing, I don't think anything the, the Holy Spirit communicates could, could be received in, in, in a vulgar sense. But it, uh, it approaches that as... Uh, as blunt and as direct as you are in so many ways through your text. I pray that we would accept it, that we would live it, that we would communicate it to the next generation and beyond. And Father, I just thank you for being as faithful as you are. I rejoice, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.